I went to a lot of conferences. I shook a lot of hands. I met a lot of people. And I think that builds the most trust with developers. And I think that was something that really made like our success, at least for this year. Hey, everybody. I'm Jeremy. And I'm Jess. And we are two internet friends exploring the intersection of independent business and rails. Welcome back to another episode of Indie Rails. Today, we have a special guest, Adrian Marin. He is a Rails developer, the creator of Avo, a custom content management system for Rails. He's one of the organizers of Friendly RB, a new Ruby conference in Bucharest, Romania. And he's the co-host of the Friendly Show with Yaro Shmarov. Welcome to the show, Adrian. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great for you to be. Yeah, glad to have you. Where do you guys want to start off today? Adrian, I'd love to hear your backstory. I've heard a little bit from the Friendly Show. You shared a little bit in your first episode there, but I would love to kind of hear about how you got into development and how you found Rails. Yeah. And then from there led you to building Avo. Love to spend a lot of time talking about that. For sure. So I'm not a technical. I haven't finished like any computer science degree. I'm a self-taught engineer. I started, so I started with economics in high school. I did economics in college and master's degree like in foreign affairs and things like that. Didn't like it all the way. But I always enjoyed technology. Like in high school, I discovered Macromedia Flash, if you remember that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I just loved the full, the, all of the animations you can build and all of the games and everything. And, you know, slowly but surely I got into scripting, action script. Then I found PHP. And then when I was in college, I started building projects for friends and family. And then whenever I got a job, usually like in sales or things like that. I always enjoyed fixing other problems with technology, just building other things instead of like just doing my job. Did you build like your own CRM or sales pipeline manager? Yep. 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 So we had, so one point, I think my first job was to sell loans. So we had these agencies in Romania where you could, instead of like people going to the banks to get loans, people, other people, salespeople would come to you and say, Hey, don't you want a loan for this and for that? So we had this Excel sheet where people, you could enter like the salary and like how many kids they have, the job and whatever. And they would give you like an estimation about how much of a loan they can get and what time and whatever. And of course I had to hack it because it shown very little data, but I had to hack it and add all kinds of formulas and all kinds of things to make it like to do like almost all my job. So everybody in the <laughs> office then wanted my spreadsheet. <laughs> nice. So um, yeah, those are the kinds of things that... I, I like to do besides my job, just doing things with technology. So that's kind of interesting. You were doing all this kind of, even in high school or whatever, you're doing this stuff as a hobby, scripting and things. And no one stopped to say, hey, maybe you should have a career in software development. Yeah, that's the thing. This is the thing that I wonder right now. Like, how come nobody told me like, hey, don't you want to try at least, you know, computer science? But no, it was, I don't know. It just never came up, if that makes sense. Yeah. But then like I finished college and master's degree and I moved from the city that I lived in to Bucharest and I said, I'm going to get a job in development. This is what I'm going to do. So it's a total 180. I don't want to do like sales or whatever I did before. I want to do development. And I kind of was good because I got a job in Bucharest at a digital agency in 2011 where my, as a junior engineer and my salary was 200 dollars at that point per month. <laughs> nice. And wow. the first task that I got in, in on my first day was to make one link red on the homepage. And after I deployed through FTP, of course, mm-hmm. I made all links 
on the whole website. Right? <laughs> you went above and beyond. <laughs> of course, that's what I do. But then at the agency, I got all kinds of other projects, like legacy projects built by other people. And I, I got to learn so many things. Like I built a game, like an MMO, multi, massive multiplayer game with PHP and jQuery because the view wasn't around. I built like an online casino for some people, plenty of like CRMs and admin panels and dashboards. I think this is a good thing for me. I built many marketing websites in WordPress. And I always tell people like, I think the fact that I know a little bit of front end of and UI, a little bit of UX, I studied those, those things that helped me a lot in my career. It's not just, you know, if, even if you're like good full stack developer, if you don't know a little bit of UX, it's going to be tough to do the full stack job very well. So looking back, I think three years I was in, in that agency that helped me a lot grow my skills. Were these big teams that you were working on or smaller teams? Not totally small. Yeah. So when I was hired, it was just me. And then we got another person. I mean, I think the biggest the team grew was like five people, but it was very a very short time. For a long while, we were two or three people that were doing this job as a developer. Yeah. And that's small enough where, like you say, you wear many hats and have many disciplines around the whole stack. Yeah. Yeah. But that's a good thing. I mean, it's difficult. It was very difficult for me. Like at some point, they were just, she would just show me an app. And it was a rather complex CRM and showed me like a column and said, I want this column, but here and to do this and to do that. Okay, I got to go. It's six o'clock. I got to leave. And they left, like the boss left. And I was like, what the hell should I do now? And then I scratched my head and started troubleshooting. Okay, if I do this, what's happening? If I add this here, it sounds like super low level, but uh, that's the way it worked. I really, that's the way I learned. And Come to think of it, that's the way I learn right now. Like if I go into a new framework, into a new thing, I just read a little bit of the documentation. Sometimes if it's not too big, I just go through it all, even if I don't understand everything. But I, in my head, I have a few checkpoints. Like, okay, if I need this, I know where to find it and whatever. And then I just go in and I run it. If it's a UI, I got to click the buttons. I want to see what's happening. And then this is how I learn. This is my method. Yeah, my favorite test is I'll... If I'm looking for like for a template, I'm like, where does this template show up at? And I'll just go in and type Jess into the template and then start surfing pages until I see Jess. Exactly. Exactly. Is that it's like that hack of like border one pixel solid red? Yeah, right. Done that a, a bunch. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Love it. Love it. Old school. So from there, how do you like working at this company, this agency, tell us how you got from there to, to Rails. So after the agency... Like the manager had personal problems, whatever. And he decided to close down the agency. And by that point, the agency had quite a few customers. And the person that was doing sales in the agency just took those people and said, okay, do you still need things to do? And they said, yes, of course. And I was like, they were out of of a job. I was out of a job. I said, don't you want to like work together? And basically I started a one-man company development agency. And they started a one-man sales agency and they would get like projects and they would send it to me. And I, that's how I started my freelancing career, which uh, lasted for about, I think, one and a half to two years. And then again, that was cool because I, again, I had the ownership over, over it all. I tried my luck a little bit on Upwork, Freelancer and other platforms. So a friend of mine that worked with me at the first initial agency, he said like, hey, I have this friend and she's a recruiter and they are looking for this person for Ruby on Rails, right? And it's a Silicon Valley company 
and it's really cool. Uh, you get a lot of control over everything you can do, ownership and stuff. And I was like, ah, I don't know. I mean, I'm doing good as a freelancer. <laughs> like I have my free time and everything. I have ownership overall. Hey man, just try it. And I said, okay, give her my contact. Okay, let's talk about it. And she set me up with this guy. He's also Romanian, but he started the Silicon Valley startup. It was called Tutap. He went through Y Combinator. So it was a quite different league, that different type of customer, different type of company than I was used to. And he said, hey, I need somebody. I need somebody that can ship fast, that can understand requirements and take ownership over it all. So how about we work together? Like, this is, our, this is my product. This is what we built so far. How about we have a call in three days and you tell me what you think about my product? I said, ah, okay, let's try it out, right, at least. And I like looked over the docs and the snippets and everything. It was an e-commerce platform, a gateway, and it was really cool what he built. So it was basically a gateway where we would integrate, well, I don't know, a thousand shops and we would expose one API to other people to integrate. So instead of integrating with each one, you just use our platform and then you can place orders and check products and whatever. It was really cool at that time. I told him everything. I gave him like a few recommendations. I found a few bugs and stuff and he got on the call the, a few days later and he made me an offer that I couldn't refuse because <laughs> it was substantially higher than what I made as a freelancer. And I said, uh, yes, <laughs> and, I, and I joined the company. I, I just couldn't say no. How big was the company? So it was one developer. So the CTO, there were two co-founders and I worked with the, in the, within the development team. They had, I think, two more developers, but they weren't building product. So the e-commerce gateway would need to, we need some people to set up some recipes. So you need some technical people that knows how to select things on pages to do some DOM scripting and stuff. So, but nobody was doing product. I was kind of the first hire that was supposed to, to build a new product or to help build products inside that company. Until then, only the CTO did everything. That's a great time to, to be there, I'm guessing. Yes, yes. It was wonderful. It was still like uh, a cold shower because... Mm. He built a lot. He was opinionated like everybody, whatever. Everybody has their own style. But he built a lot and I had not that much time to catch up. It was quite a big product. But at some point, I think maybe a year, a few months after I got the job, he said, okay, we have the big product. Let's build smaller products around it. Don't you want to pick up one of those products? Yes, of course. And then I started building my own product from scratch within the company. And that gave me like a lot of ownership, a lot of freedom to take all the decisions that I needed. So the company supported you building this? They in encouraged you? Did they take an ownership role in it or were you completely on your own? I wasn't on my own. That's, that's definitely for sure. But it was this kind of, we were talking daily. It wasn't like, okay, we're going to talk on Monday and we're going to talk on Friday, see what you did and whatever. It wasn't like that, speaking daily and, and other things. But it was kind of like, okay, we're going to start this product. It's going to be a little bit big. So we're going to talk about the overview about everything and we'll touch upon some checkpoints along the way. And then you can start building and you have like complete ownership of, over everything and you can do build whatever you want. The only thing that he said, you have to build it in Rails because they were using Rails at this company. This was my first time meeting Rails and I was used to Laravel. I, I started Laravel since version three and Vue.js and what was up until then. But he said, okay, I know you know Laravel, but we're going to do Rails because Rails is the best, you know, you can move fast <laughs> with it. And I said, oh, okay. Around what year was this? So I started a job in 2016. 
end of 2016. So I started a new product probably in 2017. So it was Rails 5.1, 5.2, somewhere around that mark. Believe it or not, like Laravel and Rails, they're not very different. Maybe now they're a little bit more different, but at some point they were quite similar. And it was it didn't take a lot of time for me to learn a little bit of Ruby and the syntax and just a few things, a few patterns changed from Laravel to Rails. And I kind of like onboarded pretty fast, to, to be honest, and I started building the product. I don't know about, about you, but, you know, just thinking about like how hard would it be to come from another framework or another language? It's cool that you could spin up that fast and have so many parallels that feel similar to you, to you when you're building. So it's still MVC. Laravel and, and Rails do, do both MVCs. MVC, but I think the most difficult part was the UI part. I wasn't accustomed to like Turbolinks and how everything is working there, like Rails, UJS and Scriptaculous and whatever and Sprockets. I, I didn't understand that part, which is, I don't want to say proprietary, but it's kind of like Rails specific. While with Laravel, it's a little bit more low level and people will use UJS there a little bit more. Now they lose, use Livewire and other things. So it's more open like that. But that's like the the other, these were the things that it was difficult to onboard, but active record, controllers, views, eh, it's okay. That, that's not very different. You weren't the only one that didn't understand the Rails front-end system. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And def- we definitely have a better story now. It's yeah, a different, it, absolutely. better story. Yeah, with PropShaft and Hotwire and import maps, even with ESBuild, it's a totally different story and I love it. So you started building a new product within that company. What did that new product do? We called it the two-tap hub. It was the hub. So... It helped you take the products from our vendors and you could place them inside your shops on Shopify or Amazon. So it was basically dropshipping, but within the United States, this was the big thing because all of our customers were in the United States. So you can do that, not doing cross-border and everything. So it was quite a cool product. We've seen people that were building businesses on it. Like they were actually betting, they were going all in and using it for their main business. And so what happened with all that? So I think in 2019, the company was purchased, was acquired by Honey. They do e-commerce as well. That's the Honey mm-hmm. extension. Oh, yeah. You know it? Yeah. My kids are always yeah. like, use Honey. Yeah. Use Honey. That's, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's, why is it teenagers that are into it? Uh, they like, they won't let me buy anything unless I use the Honey thing first. It's like the oh, only place I hear people talk about, yeah, the only demographic that I know of that talks about Honey is teenagers. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, the company that I worked for was acquired by Honey. And then I I thought, okay, it's been like two and a half, three years. I, I think I'd like to do something else. And I jumped ship. I had a friend that was working at a bigger startup. I, know, I think there were like 800, 1200 people working there. They were doing cloud services. He told me a lot of great things about them. And I said, okay, let's try them. It was kind of under his leadership. He was an engineering manager there. It was a job where it implied working with TypeScript. It was kind of hot back then. And you know how we are as developers, we always want to try new things. And I said, okay, this is a good time to try out new things. So I think after the company was acquired, they needed us to, to they needed me to move to the United States, relocate, and it was not the right time. Was that something you even contemplated? Yes. So to rewind a little bit after I got this job and at the Silicon Valley startup, I went on this trip around the world with my wife. We did digital nomading, basically. Yeah. We went to Southeast Asia. We even got, I don't know, Japan. We went to, then we went to the States and we spent about like three or four months there. And 
Then I, we went home and the company got acquired. And then the offer was on the table. Like, okay, do you want to move to the States? And we were just coming back after this wild trip of a year, almost like 11 months of visiting everything. And we knew that if we have to go to the United States, we would have to like stay there to get like our green card for a few years. And we couldn't move, we couldn't travel. And we said like, I don't, we don't want to do that right now. Like we're young, we don't have any kids. We want to travel a little bit more. So we're going to skip. Like if we wanted to do this at some point, maybe I could get like a different offer from a different company and I could still do it. Want to keep those options open. Then I went to the TypeScript job where I built local development tools. And basically our job was, the company was building infrastructure services for Drupal, which is a PHP content management system. And they had, because Drupal was like, I don't want to say so old, but so established, it had quite some difficulties doing all the deployment. And sometimes if a developer wanted to set up like a full new machine, it would take eight hours to do that with a new project. And my team was tasked to take that time and make it like uh, much tinier. So we took it from eight hours to like four minutes after almost a year of work. We optimized everything we could and we built a CLI for it. We built a graphical user interface for it. It was quite a cool thing. And I learned TypeScript and many other things from my my tech lead back then. So it was a very cool ride as well into that company. And it sounds like maybe that was your first foray into building dev tools. Yes, I think so. I mean, I was building things for my colleagues inside the, the agency and inside the other company, but it wasn't like for just for devs, right? So yeah, that was the first thing. Yeah. And then something happened in the company and our whole division got laid off. Doesn't matter. Not, not, it's not worth going into it. So <laughs> then I was again, like today, I'm, like yesterday, I was super busy. I had so much work to do. And, but today I have no work to do. This is how it happened. And then... I had some other company, other startup that recruited me and they said, okay, we want to build this new creators tool. And we started building that. And this is the time where we get close to like AVO, like, because in this new company, I built like this micro-influencer campaigns kind of tool where we used Laravel and Laravel has this thing called Laravel Nova, which is an admin panel framework for Laravel. And we moved so fast in building this whole business with Nova and then didn't take long to me for me to say like, okay, if we had something like this in Rails, because Rails helps you move so fast, if you have something like this, then it would be just amazing. So I started building Avo. It was called Project Avocado, but I couldn't find any domain names for it. So I just cut it short. And it was just like a super small project that I just wanted to see if I could build it, not if I could sell it. And yeah, it started to pick up. Like I launched, I think, version 0.6 in like two or three months. It was a Vue.js app. And then DHH released the Hotwire, and then I rewrote it, version one with Hotwire, and uh, people started uh, picking up on it and starting using it. So it started out as a Vue.js app, and was, was it just a front end that talked Rails back in? Yeah, basically that was it, yeah. And the whole rewrite was like, I don't know, maybe 20,000 lines long, because I ha- essentially had to write, rewrite everything, not be an SPA, not, no JSON endpoints, no more that kind of stuff. I had to learn Hotwire because it was kind of new back then. You have to like think in that whole paradigm, but it was cool. It was a cool project. I just wanted to take one month off of work and it's been three and a half years since doing that. How did people find out about it and like, what were they using it for? So at first I just marketed it as an admin panel framework. So it's an alternative to active admin, to Rails admin, to administrate. And it was very difficult to me. I thought that if I built this, coming back with my prior experience from Nova, like, 
I know how powerful this is. This can help you like move super fast, cut your times in half. Everybody's going to flock in. Everybody's going to want to use it. And guess what? That didn't happen. Nobody really wanted to use it. I, I was basically, you know, begging people to try it out. And some people that tried it out, they liked it and they started using it and picking it up. I tried everything. I started following people on Twitter. I started messaging them, following them on LinkedIn. I didn't have like a persona in Rails and Ruby world. Nobody knew me. I remember at some point there was this advent calendar for Ruby gems on some website and I had day number 15 and they would basically, you know, present one gem every day until Christmas and Avo was one of those gems. And at some point, Jason Sweat invited me to his podcast. And I think that was a very, very important point in, in the whole marketing of it because everybody knows Jason Sweat and listens to the podcast. And I saw quite an uptick in, in usage there. How long ago was that? Two years ago, maybe. How did Jason find out about you? I think I wrote to him or something. I think I, he said, like, I'm looking for guests. And I said, oh, that's perfect. I raised my hand. Here I am. I got a question about your thoughts. I think a lot of like entrepreneurs or makers, and I think myself is included, when you think of building a product, I'm the type of person that if I find like one other example of that product out there, I'm like, oh, there's no use in making it. Like it's already, somebody's already made it. And you entered a market that you listed three or four different alternatives. What made you think that like, this is a good idea versus somebody like me who would say like, oh, somebody's already done this. So it's useless for me to do it. So the, the whole premise of this thing was that AVO is not going to be used just for admin panels, just for two people to use it, like internally, just super admin or whatever. I want this to be fleshed out, the UI to be just perfect. Every button lines up. The whole experience is just beautiful that you want to give it to your, to your consumers, to your users, right? To non-developers. And I kind of like after playing around with other options, I saw that wasn't the case there. And I knew that this can be improved. So this was something that we pushed. I think we can see it because now, like after two years, I think after two years, somebody told me like, hey, I'm using this form as my app. It's not my admin panel. Consumers see this. And it took a long while, a long time to get there, but and still and still fighting to get over this. It's not just an admin, but it's not just administrate with a different DSL or something. I was wondering if that was the case because... I heard other people talk about it as being an admin framework, but on, on your marketing copy, you talk about it being a, like a custom content management system framework on Rails. Yeah, it's very difficult to put a label on it. Is it an admin panel? Yes, it's a back office. Is it an internal tool? Yes, but it can do, it can be used for external users as well. So I call it like framework for building business apps. Nobody really knows what business apps are. I have to <laughs> right. like explain them. It's like the CRUD-like applications, but... So there's not a term for it. So this is why when somebody asks me what it does, ask them first, what do you do? Are you a developer? Are you a marketer? To try to position the product so they can understand it more easily. And yeah, this is the kind of like the difficult thing that I have to do to sell. Like, first of all, tell them it's not like just active admin because people say like, okay, it's, it might be painful to use active admin or I get stuck or whatever. So it's kind of like that, but it's like better. It's like I try to fix all of those issues. It also reminds me of like when I first started building web apps, I was using FileMaker, this old Mac database, and you could build the databases, but then you'd build views too. So it was completely, it was like a GUI for creating database tables and then associations and then building forms and views all within this GUI interface. And you could build web apps on the backside of it too. 
But um, FileMaker was like a great system for doing all of that. It's almost like that on top of Rails. The Rails is like the engine that makes everything run, but then you're using Avo to build all these. Like it could be back office tools or it could be customer facing tools, but it is like, yeah, it's like business software, that kind of stuff. FileMaker fit that niche really well. And I feel like there's like another web, is Airtable kind of like that? I would put Airtable into no-code tools. Yeah, it's a no, it's a no-code, which, yeah, that's not the case for Avo. Right, yeah, It's right. kind of like a low-code. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's more similar to that than it is to Active Admin or Administrate or whatever in terms of like what kind of problems you're hoping people solve with it. This is what I'm trying to do is make this a fleshed out UI from the first day, like the first day you want to deploy it. It's, you can run it with a few lines of code. You can write a few lines of, and you have this full admin panel. No problem. Go back to the, the beginning. You got laid off and then you, you started an, an experiment that lasted, a, you said about a month or so. You gave yourself a month, but now here we are, th- you said three years later, right? Yep. When did you start like earning income from this or did you like start freelancing the support? yourself or like how did you how did you make that transition financially so it was in the beginning i had some money you had set aside so yeah so i knew for a few years then that i wanted to build a product for myself like i enjoy building products i enjoy you know making all of these things so i want to build a product myself so i said okay this kind of sounds like a good product somebody that could use it nobody uses it, but kind of sounds like it. i'm going to give it like a few months of runway and then what happened was I had a few months of no sales, a few months of like good sales that, you know, the months without sales, they say, okay, I got to find a job. I got to do something else. But the months with sales, they say, okay, do it. Cause you see, you get, you get <laughs> traction. When did you decide to start charging for it? I think, oh, I started like a paid product. Because- okay. I thought it started out as just as open source, but you intended for it to be a product from the beginning. Okay. No. So basically what happened was I was shooting for like Nova, like Laravel Nova parity. And what they do, they don't have any free versions or anything. They just sell it. I said, I'm going to do it like, they do it like that. That's perfect. It should work for me, which it didn't. Beginning, it costs like $100. You pay once and you get it forever with updates and whatever. And I thought that was going to be the perfect pricing because everybody is going to want one. And then after a few short months, I've got a good cold shower. And I told me like, nobody's going to pay for this if they can't try it. Like, get over yourself. (laughs) <laughs> and then I created like a free version and a paid version. And people then started to use it, started pinging it up. And how did I do like financially? Like what happened there? Like in the first year, I think I sold like $4,000 worth of licenses. So that's nothing for like a developer. I had a lot of questions like, oh my God, am I doing this? Am I wasting my time? Should I go get a job and everything? What was your wife saying? My wife is the greatest wife of them all. (laughs) So she was encouraging, huh? She was very encouraging because we talk a lot about everything, about many things. And she kind of, I think, you know what, how it is like in your head, you have like all these ideas, but when somebody else hears them, like they organize it differently. So she said like, you got a good thing going on. You have a good product. You're doing all the right steps. It's going to take time. Just do it a little bit while longer. So I did it. And thankfully, like for her, I'm here and like we're doing pretty okay. At this time, you've touched on this a little bit already, but I'd love to know what have been the best marketing channels for Avo and how are customers finding the product? I had the most developer approach ever, which you should not do. Just hope <laughs> that people are going to find it <laughs> somehow and they're going to read, read your testimonials, basically, because you just say things, you know, it's going to be awesome. It's going to <laughs> help you a lot. 
and they're just going to believe you and, and, and use it. So in the first year, we, we sold those, those licenses, but we did almost no marketing except going for that podcast. And we still don't do any marketing. I, I tried Twitter ads. I tried LinkedIn ads, even Facebook ads at some point. And that didn't really work for me. And I think it's because it's a developer tool and I was, and I still try to talk to developers. I still try to sell to developers. So my technique is like going from bottom up, like go to the developers so they can see how nice of a tool this is and how they, it can improve their whole processes and everything and how they build apps. And then they would go up to their boss and say, okay, see this tool, this helped me build things in a week instead of a month. So let's buy it because it's very cheap and affordable and we could just use it and stop wasting resources and building the same thing over and over again. In reality, like it was very difficult for me. I think one point was because I was like this active admin alternative and everybody knows that active admin is not a tool for customers, it's not a good tool. So I already know Active Admin. Why would, would I try a different, not so good tool? That was one thing. And the other thing was, what is this? Like a CRUD thing? I can build that. I can build that in a weekend. I need to buy it, right? And nobody can. We have been doing it for three yeah. years. And we still <laughs> work on it, but nobody can build it. And it was difficult. So one of the things that really worked out best for us, like for the past few years, is like building great documentation. I make videos about what we ship, what we, we have a two week release cycle. Every two weeks, we release something new, new features, bug fixes, edge cases, and security updates. And whenever I do that, I film myself and I go, Hey guys, how are we doing? Like, this is what we're doing to, we're launching this week. These are the things that improved. This is, this was broken. Now it's fixed and whatever, whatever. And I think that kind of built trust with our uh, audience. And we started building more and more complex things and handling more and more complex use cases, things that take a lot of time to build, maybe like dynamic filters, reordering, and all kinds of like things that really take, really do it for every app, but it takes a lot of time. And people are starting, developers are, are starting to see that there is something there. And I think the third thing was that I went to a lot of conferences. I shook a lot of hands. I met a lot of people. And I think that builds the most trust with developers and I think that was something that really made made like our success, at least for this year. We met a lot of people and they saw like, this is not a big corporation that's trying to make money out of us or whatever. <laughs> it's Adrian and Paul and they're very cool and they, they, they want to build something of value. So these are like kind of the marketing channels that I did, that we kind of, that makes sense. So if I had to restate it, it sounds like traditional advertising channels with various kinds of ads on social media, maybe not, wasn't a great way to go for a dev tool. But what has worked for you is getting onto substantial technical podcasts, going to conferences, meeting people, being consistent in your own online social media presence, and then yep. consistency in terms of releases with features and bug fixes that shows people we're active. This is a product in motion. We are engaged. And then you're building that rapport over time. Yes. And he mentioned reaching out on Twitter too. Yeah, yeah. And cold outreach. Yeah, it sounds like you did a lot of good work there. I think that's just called good old hustle marketing. Yeah. Yes. Right? Just definitely. reaching out, being proactive, just talking about your stuff, trying to help people. Yeah. And one of the things that I think, again, like helped for our success this year, maybe last year, longevity. Because now I don't get these questions too much, but before I did, what happens if you go out of business? Because I am banking so much on, on this. Like if I'm shipping this to my customers, 
I want something that's alive, that's something that's supported, maintained. And what happens if you go out of business? Like my, my answer is always, you never know. Like tomorrow, Google could go out of business or whatever. You're going to have to change mail or whatever. But it's like, we want to do this. We want to build a business. This is the kind of business we want to do. We're developers as well. We listen to you. We're like we have a very active like Discord and GitHub repository. So now we don't have, we don't get those questions too much. So I think people have started to notice, okay, I was here to stay. They want to build things like for us and, and they're not going to jump ship or whatever. So uh, this really helped. As a consumer, you always want to see the maker of the product making some money because that means that they're able to support themselves and they're, continued, they're able to continue working on the product. Yeah, we don't shy away from it. Like whatever, we had the best year. We tripled what we made last year. So yeah, so now we're like two people working on this. Paul is full-time. He, he was part-time for about a year and now he's full-time for five months and he's perfect with the product. I love him. He understands the product. He understands our workload and how we need to ship and how fast and when we do first iteration, when we do the last iteration and so on, he does support and I just love him. So it's starting, it's starting to feel like proper business. It's not just me in my bedroom coding along yeah. and asking myself questions if I should do this or if I should just <laughs> go get a job. So it's much better on, on, that, on that area as well. I love your story. I think it was in the last friendly podcast episode where you're talking about how you met Paul how you both started speaking English and you were <laughs> yeah. talking about the product and then you realize you both speak Romanian. So Paul is originally from Romania. He moved to Portugal with the family when he was nine and his company was using Avo and he got on the Discord and he said, hey, I'm trying to do this. How can I do it? And I told him and then he started showing me some things that he experimented with the product. Like, hey, this is missing. This is how I did it. And I said, that's amazing. I love it. I want to build this into Avo like at some point, but don't have the resources right now. And at some point he said, asked him like, how's the weather in Portugal? And I looked him up and he looked me up and he said, started speaking in Romanian. Like, hey man, I'm from <laughs> Romania as well. Like, that's you know, awesome. That's, that's awesome. And then at some point he said, like, I want to get a, like a second, like a part-time job because that was like an internship junior position and the pay wasn't well. And he asked me like, where could I get it? Like, how much should I ask and whatever. And then a light bulb turned in my head. I said like, how about you come working with me? Like, I didn't have that much money to pay him, right? But I kind of had, like, I had this sponsor that was paying me like $500 per month to give him like technical support and be on his Slack channel and show me some code and whatever. So it wasn't just like a $250 per year license. It was quite substantial. And I said, okay, if you want to come work for me, I'm going to take that money. I'm going to give it to you and you can do some part-time job. So that was easy for me to like get the first employee and... Yeah, he said, that's that's perfect. That's all I want. That's all I need. And we started working together and I, I just love him. Thank you, Paul. When you're hearing this, uh, I just love you. It's just perfect. I was wondering like how you found him and like if you were going out and if you put a job posting out, but if he was using Avo already and already making himself available, that's that like so perfect. This is like one of the hidden advantages of building like an open source and an open core business already have all these users. Some of them are like super fans are like, they love it. They love the platform. And if like tomorrow I want to hire somebody, the first place where I would go is go on our discord channel and say at everyone like, Hey man, I'm looking for someone to this and this and this. And then on a GitHub repo and Twitter or whatever. And I'm sure that somebody from the inside will pop up and I would find somebody from there. So it's a very cool hidden advantage because you can build a following of people that might want to work in your organization already. We hear so many good stories like that. Like John Nunemaker was talking about, 
he, it seemed like that happened with him several times where he was just working with somebody on a project, whether it's yeah. open source or whatever. And, and it just morphed into like, oh, let's make this a thing. Yeah. So everything just worked out perfectly. And now, now we're at this point where Paul do, does most of the technical support. And I think most of the programming, the development work as well. I do like product development. I, I talk to like, you know, maybe some more difficult customers or like I take product decisions. I do some R&D and some sales and marketing. And of course, I go to all of the conferences, the, the, the most difficult work that I have to do <laughs> and, and buy people beer. But yeah, somebody's got to do it. That's right. Somebody does. Yeah. Speaking of conferences, maybe this is a good segue into yeah. Friendly RB, right? Yeah, Friendly and all of the conferences that you've been going to. I was trying to count up. How many conferences, Ruby and Rails conferences have you been to this year? I think it's seven conferences seven. and okay. two or six, three yeah. user groups, meetups. Wow. Yeah. That is an impressive schedule. <laughs> yep. And my son is 13 months old. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Again, this is my wife. She said, like, I went to a few meetups and one conference and I said, that was amazing. The conference, I met so many cool people from like Twitter and they're like Twitter famous and everything. And so like, that was so great to shake their hands. Like now we, we talk on Discord and everything. And I think that had so much value. And she said, okay, okay. We have this kid. He's not sleeping at night, whatever. We'll figure it out. Go out there. And like I said, I want to go to the next conference as well, but I don't know if I should leave. But she said, go out there and just do it. This is going to be the year where you go to conferences and you're going to, you know, shake people's hands and people are going to find out about you. And I, we did just that. And I went to conferences. I met many lovely people including yourself, Jeremy, <laughs> that helped me put on my own conference, Friendly, and just a terrific year. And I'm not sure how, what I'm going to do next year, if I could repeat it, but we'll see. We'll see. So you're going to all these conferences, made you think, oh, I should start one in Bucharest. Oh, that was easy. So when I thought about this in February or March, it was, there were no conferences in September. There was only Wrocław RB, which it's a little bit more regional in, in Poland. And there's Yuruko, but nothing was announced. So I knew that there are only going to be these ones. And I started writing. At first, I started with a tweet. If I put on a Ruby conference in Bucharest, would anybody come? And some people said, yes, how much, when, whatever. I said, okay, there's some interest there. And I started speaking with other conference organizers like Andy Kroll and Andrew Culver and other others. And I kind of figured out like, I, I could do this. Like it wouldn't be like that difficult. And boy, was I wrong. <laughs> it's not that easy. As you might know, Jeremy, we, we spoke about this. And I got in touch with the organizers of Rotswaf RB and I asked them, when do you plan to do it? I got in touch with Yuruko and I got their dates and I said, okay, this is going to be my date. Fine. It was going to be like every two weeks, one Ruby conference. It was okay. It was cool. But then Yuruko announced like just between us. So it was like one, two, three, Wrocław, Yuruko, and then Friendly RB. And then Rails World was right after Friends. So there were like four European <laughs> conferences in four weeks in a row. And then I don't want to can mention like RubyConf Thailand, which was in the same time with Rails. Well, like there were like six or seven in like four weeks times in like on three continents. It was wild. My theory on that was that it was just after the pandemic, lots of people were thinking about restarting, but no one all the coordination that had happened prior where you yeah. knew what to expect was gone. And so the communication channels hadn't opened back up. So everyone's thinking the same thought, oh, we should restart, but not talking to each other because the channel was lost in that gap of two years or whatever. So I think it's very understandable, but make for an interesting fall there. 
I remember I was in Vilnius. I was a, at a Ruby meetup and I was talking to Andrew Culver, which he announced Rails SaaS in Athens and on June 1st. And I already sold about 30 tickets to Friendly and the Rails world just was announced and everything. So I was like lost. I was said, I was talking to him like, hey man, I have 30 people that got a ticket. I don't want to, you know, let them down, whatever. Could you like, because his price was a little bit higher, like, would you want to take these people and maybe we can do the conference? Like, I don't want to do friendly, but they can come to Rail SaaS and whatever. He said, yeah, of course. So I was like on the edge of like announcing that I'm not going to do friendly. It's wow. not worth it. Like I cannot be between Yuruko and Railsworld, which will be like two major conferences. But then people started buying more tickets and they started encouraging me, like, don't do it. Like keep, keep going. And I said, oh, okay, screw it. Whatever. We'll figure it out. Like, how much money can I lose? Whatever, right? How, how yeah. bad can it be? Like, I'm a friendly guy. I'll take people on trips. I'll forget about it. I'll, I'll figure it, it will, out. Like, it'll I'll take, take people on trips. Exactly. Exactly. If it's 30 people, it's okay. So I'll make it work. So then I said, okay, we'll do it. So we doubled down. And again, like we found more speakers. So we had like an amazing, amazing lineup. And of course, I'm going to say this. I thought I thought it was the best conference of the year, but whatever. It's, it's just me. It's just me. I just love it. It was very friendly. It was pretty great. I have to say. Thank you. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. Now you had some uh, co-organizers, right? Yep. How did you recruit them? So two years ago, a friend called Adrian, I knew him. He knew these two other guys and he was doing Node.js and he said, I'm going to start Ruby. I'm going to start doing Rails. And we, I said, okay, perfect. I know Rails. Let me help you. These other guys that were doing Rails, they said, oh no, let me help you or whatever. And he said, like, let's create this group together. We're going to be called the Ruby Masons or whatever, whatever, a stupid freaking name. We're going to do this group <laughs> and we're going to talk about Ruby and Rails and we're going to take over the world. Right? He's more spontaneous like that. And we did two, We did a few calls, like we, we were going to do like weekly calls and he came to two calls and then he never showed up. But the rest of us that prior, we didn't know each other. We stayed together stayed and together. <laughs> we talked about Ruby and Rails every week and like product and family and other kinds of like other issues. We had a call this this morning as well. And we always said, oh my God, Ruby is so nice, Rails so nice. But in Romania, it's not very, nobody really does it. Wouldn't it be cool to have like a meetup or maybe just a conference? So basically we we made a conference together. Friendly RB is not like Adrian's conferences or whatever. It's not a one-man show. It's uh, all of us. And we just made it. And then we never built, put a conference together, but we did it. We did it. So basically we knew each other before, before announcing the conference. So Jeremy, you, you have the answer to your question. These guys didn't just come together for a conference. They've known each other for several years at least and have been working and talking together. And yeah, and that, that was prompted by Jeremy made the observation that you all just worked so wonderful together and yeah. like you just had each other's back. It seemed like everybody knew what they were after and wasn't like just one person running around feeling stressed or whatever. Like you guys just handled yeah. things so well as a team, it seemed like. So I was impressed. I was surprised as well. Like myself personally, I'm not the kind of person that sets everything up. Like, oh, I got to be very thorough with everything and a, like a schedule and everything. But I was surprised when I got there. We So we got access to the room, to the venue two hours before starting. And I thought we're not going to have enough time or whatever. But after like 40 minutes, like nobody had nothing to do. Like the technical <laughs> part was settled, the drinks, the tickets, everything was just like, what do we do now? Like, was that it? What's <laughs> happening? And I think it, it was because like all of us kind of had their own kind of jobs and missions. Like Jakob, he loves doing the technical stuff. He really does. And he set up, like got all the chords and everything in the sound and was talking to the technical guys there. So all of that workload was just off of me and the others. 
And then Alex did the interview. So everybody had their own job, but we didn't prepare that much. I was very surprised and very happy that we didn't, we weren't stressed at all. It was like, oh, that's it. Okay, cool. Let's, let's mingle and talk to people and have fun. And that's what we did. I could see that. And it was really nice to meet the rest of the team. Yeah, yeah fantastic. And then you're uh, planning again for next year. So yes, you must've been satisfied and ready to keep going. We're going to do it next year about the same time, 18, 19, September 18th, 19. I'm quite terrified. I'm more terrified this time, I think, because we had such a nice lineup last year. We did the activities as well, as you know, and how are we going to top it this year? How are we going you to those make expectations it? to live up to? Exactly. I get that. And we have, and another thing, like we have people coming back. I think we sold, I don't know, maybe 20, 30 tickets and more than half of them are people that are returning. So. I want to do something special for them as well, right? It's not just, I don't want to do the same thing. So yes, I'm a little bit terrified, but I'm sure I'm going to find speakers. If, if anybody you know, wants to talk, get in touch with us, get in touch with us. This is my, my shout out for everyone. I'm guessing it'll be easier this time. I don't know if you'll do a CFP, but I just think, especially like seeing that the first video that came out was so good. Oh my word. I'm so excited to see the rest of the conference videos, but just so many things that have come from the conference, I feel like it's going to be I'm guessing it's not going to be hard to find speakers. Yes, yes. Uh, I think so. So I reached out to a few people. I got some rejections. I'm still waiting for some other people, but it's definitely going to be curated. I had this conversation with somebody at Yuruko with a sponsor, like, how are you making this process transparent? And we're like, we're going to have a CFP, but I feel the pressure. This is not Yuruko. Like we have panel of people that are going to choose the talks. I feel the pressure of curating it. I feel the pressure of making this a nice experience. I cannot offload this to somebody else that doesn't have the same vision as I, as I have. And uh, we are going to open a CFP, but we are going to invite some people to, to speak as well, because we want to have very known people bring to the, to the region, to, to Bucharest and Romania, and we want to have some new people bring to the stage. So I've seen that, gave my first talk at a conference last year, and I saw how much that helped me, helped me like externally, but also internally boosted my confidence and everything else. So I want to give that shot, that opportunity to other people. So it's going to be half and half, but a curated experience. Adrian, we're getting close to time here. Is there anything that we haven't talked about that you think we ought to get into? I don't know. It sounds like this is my whole life, right? <laughs> 60 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to focus on Avo 3 more and more from now on. We launched a new version, new tiers, open source. That was last open... week, right? Yep. Last, last week. week. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. Congrats. Yeah, to yeah, say that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. We, we plan to do it in three months to like release from Avo 2 to Avo 3, but it took almost a year, but that's fine. It's okay. We, we found cool, cool things to build. We still have a few more ideas in mind. So definitely more to build. I'm going to focus on friendly RB as well. Now it's a very passionate, passion project of mine. It's not just, okay, let me see if I can do it. I started a new podcast with uh, Yaro, my friend. We're doing the friendly show and trying to help people, you know, get started with Ruby and improve the community and helping other conference organizers, getting their stuff in order and, you know, with feedback and doubling down on the Ruby community. That's, that's for sure. You guys are going to have to trademark that friendly name. <laughs> That's yes. right. So Helvetic RB, we, the guys took us out for fondue and we played this awesome game where we take out our phones and go through our purchased domains. So basically everybody oh, nice. has this <laughs> big collection of domains. So I had, I think, four or five with friendly. So we'll see. We'll figure it out.
Well, Adrian, thank you so much for joining us today. Congratulations on such a successful year with your company, Avo, the Friendly RB Conference, your new podcast. Is there anything else you want to show people or, or send people before we leave? Just uh, go visit avo.cool. I'm Adrian the Dev everywhere, like on GitHub and Twitter. If I can help with anything, you know, get started with a project or anything at all, just reach out to me. I love meeting new people and meeting new people. So thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah thanks for being here. It's been great. Cool. Thank you, guys. <laughs>